pray with me as we ask God to ready our hearts for this time. And I'm just going to ask you, you know what's going on in your life, and you know the things that have been difficult, you know the things that have been joyful, you know where you are, and so does God. And you've chosen to be here on 4th of July weekend, and you've chosen to be in a parking lot or at home in your comfy pajamas, Um, but you've chosen to be here. And believing that God has something to speak to you, believing that there's some thing, some way that God wants to meet you today. And so I just want to take a couple minutes and ask God to do that, that we would have our hearts really ready to receive from him what it is that he desires for us. So I'm going to pray, but I'm going to pray a little bit and then ask you to just pray yourself in silence, and then I'll pray again. Father, You see us right now, and you are here, present. You are everywhere, God. That is one of the great truths that we can cling to, that we can believe. You are with us in our homes. You are with us here, outside, in the the heat, in the sun. You are present right now. Uh, We sang, we welcome you with praise. And God, we, we sing that because we believe that you are here. And so we are singing, but also praying and asking God, we are welcoming you here today. God, you see every heart, you see every thought, you see every joy, you see every pain that everybody brings in here today. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your word today, whatever it is that we need to hear from you. So just take a moment and ask God to speak to you. Just tell him that your heart is ready. Tell him that you want to hear from him. Tell him that you Uh, know that he's here. Tell him that you desire for him to actually do something in this space and time. Just take take some time and, and tell him that. God, we give this time to you and trust that you will make it helpful for our souls, for our lives, and ask that you would speak to everyone here. In your name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. We are in a series going through the Psalms, and the Psalms um, bring every aspect of life to God. Whether there are things that you are lamenting, we've talked about that, or things that you are desiring to experience wisdom in or happiness in, we've talked about thankfulness. The Psalms bring every aspect of life to God, and there's no greater need in our life than to bring every piece of it to Him. We all have joyful things and we all have pain. We all have things that we are scared of and anxious of and things that we are excited about and hopeful for. And there's no greater need than to bring all the different pieces of our life and understand how God fits into that. Otherwise, we've got certain parts of our life that are kind of sealed off from God. Maybe we bring the happy things to God, but not our pain. Or maybe we bring our pain to God, but not our joy. Or maybe we bring our sin to God, but not our success. Or maybe we bring our successes to God, but not our sins. Whatever it might be, 
we have a tendency often to cut off pieces of our lives from God. And there's no greater need, I really believe, than to bring all the aspects of our life to God and have him connect into all of those things. And that is what the Psalms help us do. They help us to pray to God in all the different things that we have going on. So the question for today is when life is hard, what is it that you desire? When life is hard, what do you desire? And maybe you are uncertain about the future right now. I know many of us are. Maybe you're uncertain about the future with work or maybe with kids and how's it going to go with kids or I want kids or how, how do I help them? Maybe you're uncertain about the future with your own self and just am I going to change or are things going to be like this? Maybe you're uncertain about the future with your relationships. And I'm just using uncertainty because that often is one of the aspects where we feel life being hard. But when life is hard, what do you desire? Maybe you desire when life is difficult, and maybe you felt it this week. When, when life is hard, maybe you desire uh, friends, and you want to be close with your friends when life is hard. Maybe when life is hard, you desire ice cream. You desire getting some head nods for ice cream, you know. Not, none for friends. Nobody nodded for friends, but ice cream is the winner today. Uh, maybe when life is hard, you desire vacation. You can say, man, this is, this is difficult, but I know I've got a trip coming up. I know I've got, uh, I can go out in nature and, and maybe, maybe that's what it is for you. It's nature, it's, it's camping, it's hiking, it's being out in the open stars. When life is hard for you, what is it that you desire? And here's how we could just boil it down. Whenever life is hard, whenever we feel pain, we desire in some way pleasure. And I'm not saying that that's bad. Don't, don't hear me saying that. Sometimes I think in church you can hear pleasure and go, oh, so that means that's wrong. But no, that's not what I'm saying. Whenever we feel pain, in some ways we desire pleasure. Whether that's ice cream, friendship, nature, whatever it might be, we desire pleasure in some way. It's, it's actually how God designed us. It's how we are made. But oftentimes it's not enough. The things that we go after, whether those are our friendships or nature or vacation or ice cream, it's oftentimes not enough. And the greatest joy or the greatest pleasure is going to come from the greatest source of joy. I was thinking about this with our garden. We grow uh, tomatoes and we, I had some this morning in my, in my eggs. Not that you need to know my, my breakfast, but I had some in, in my eggs, had some tom tomatoes. And, and if you've ever had kind of a fresh tomato or fresh fruit, like picked right from the thing, right from the vine, right from the tree, you know the difference between that and um, one that you get from the store. And there's gradations of a tomato or of the joy that you get in biting into a, and if you don't like tomato, you know, pick another fruit. It, maybe it's a, a pineapple or whatever it is, okay? But listen, you can go to the store and you can buy a tomato and maybe it's not the best quality one. Maybe it's been sitting there for a while. Maybe it's, you know, not as ripe as it could be. I don't, I don't know. Maybe they shipped it from China and it's been sitting in a vat for a year or something like that, right? And so you, you've got a tomato and you bite it and you're like, okay, yeah, that's, that's good. It needs some ranch, but it's good. And, and then you, you go to the store or maybe a farmer's market and you get a tomato that's really good. And you're like, man, that one is, oh, that was so juicy. That was amazing. That tasted so good. And, and that, the gradation from the okay tomato to the good tomato, it's a lot. You're like, man, that was a good tomato. I'm willing to pay $11 or however much tomatoes are for that tomato. And, and then the gradation between that and going in your backyard and picking a tomato and taking a bite of it, it's infinite. It's huge. 
And if you haven't ever done that, then you can come to my backyard and steal one of my tomatoes, and that's fine. But it, 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 it's, it's way better. Now, that is the way that pleasure is. There's certain pleasures in our life that we say, man, vacation is good. But the, the space between vacation and between the ultimate source of joy, God, is infinite. And in our pain, we desire pleasure. In any pain that you and I are going through, we desire pleasure. But oftentimes we settle. We settle for pleasures that are okay, but they're not as good as they could be. They're not as ultimate as what is actually available to and offered to us. The greatest joy is actually God, but oftentimes we forget him in our desire for pleasure. We forget him or we miss him or we trust other sources, which means we ultimately miss the truest source of joy. We're going to look at Psalm 33 and see how David leads us into experiencing the greatest joy that there is, whether you're experiencing pain right now or maybe life is just normal, but you want to experience a greater, a deeper joy. Here's what David says in the very beginning of this. He says, rejoice, this is Psalm 33, rejoice in the Lord, which means that that's often throughout the Bible and that oftentimes just sounds really spiritual. We don't really know what it means, rejoice in the Lord, but it really just means enjoy God. That's what it means. It means there is this great ultimate source of joy and pleasure that's available to you. Enjoy it. It's the same as if I was taking this tomato and saying, man, bite into this. If I was taking a great pastry and said, oh, you got to try, enjoy this. That is what, when the Bible says rejoice in the Lord, that is what it is calling us to. It's saying, enjoy this. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous ones. Praise from the upright is beautiful. Look, at you're beautiful. Praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the lyre. Make music to him with a ten-stringed harp. Sing a new song to him. Play skillfully on the strings. We saw that this morning. Play skillfully on the strings with a joyful Shout. Now, even just this thing that is calling us to rejoice in God, if you, if you look at some of what this says, you'll see a little bit why it's so important that we find joy in God. Think about, there, there is something about God. There is something about God that he actually says, if you want to enjoy me and the fullest part, there's something about his character, about his nature, about who he is, about what he does, that to experience the ultimate joy of him, it actually needs or is helped by enhancement. You could come up to me and say, Caleb, you're a great guy. And I would feel like that was sufficient. I don't, I don't need you to play me a song. I am not so amazing that I would say, no, please stop. I, I, my, my worthiness is only if you sing loudly to me. But there's something about God. There's something about God in his character, in his nature, that he actually says to get the fullest of who I am, words alone don't actually do. It needs enhancement. And not just that, it, there's something about God that we should sing a new song. Over and over again in the Psalms, it talks about that. Sing a new song to God. There's songs that have been written about old heroes, about old people. We don't need to write new songs about them anymore. The breadth of what they have done and who they are, it's fine in a few songs that have been written about them. But for God, because of who he is and because of what he continues to do and be, new songs are needed. And variety of instrumentation. God doesn't just say, play the harp for me. 
He says, and in other places, it says the harp and the tambourine and the cymbals. And God is such a quality, a, a, a person of joy that it requires a variety of instrumentation. And it requires, God requires loudness. See, God, look, we get loud. We get loud about whatever it is that, that is amazing to us. If you're a sports fan and you go to a football game and your team scores the touchdown, you don't go. That's, no one does that. You stand up and scream and say, yeah, and you, you get loud about what it is that you value, about what it is that you think inherently is a source of joy and pleasure. We get loud about it. If you, if you win the lottery, let's say, and I'm not recommending you should play the lottery. If you win, if you win, you're not going to go, oh, that's really cool. You're going to say, this is awesome. You're going to get loud about what it is that you believe is a source of joy. And God is such, God is such that he says, with a joyful shout, rejoice in him. Now, all of that, the variety, the instrumentation, the enhancements, the, the amplification, all of that should point us, really what David is saying is God is that worthy. He is that enjoyable. He is that amazing. And by showing us that, he's really inviting us in to taste. He's inviting us in to say, this is how amazing, how joyful, how much joy you will get if you come to him. He's inviting us to come and see. He's inviting us to come and taste. He wants to bring us into that joy. But just like the people that this was written for, we forget that. We miss that, don't we? I mean, we have so many, again, in our pain or just in our normal life, we have so many other pleasures that we pursue and we miss that God is the ultimate, the truest source of Joy in the Psalms of Praise, what we're going to look at this in Psalms 33, the Psalms of Praise help us to see God better. They help us to see him more accurately so that our joy increases. They help us to come near him, to taste him so that we're not just knowing about God, but we're actually tasting him. And the phrase that maybe you can remember of what Psalms of praise do is they move our seeing of God. They move our seeing to singing. They move our seeing to singing. They help us to see God right and allow that to produce a greater joy. Just like all the joys in our life oftentimes move our seeing or tasting into singing. This is what Psalms of praise help us to do. So how do, how do we do that? What is it that he shows us? He calls us and he says, here, here's God, enjoy him, taste him. Okay, but what is so great about him? What's so awesome about him that, that it can actually give us joy? Whether you're in pain now, or life feels just normal now, or even if life feels great now, how can we move from seeing to singing? And David gives us three things. First, he says that we need to see his character. We often forget who God is. We know God. If you're, if you're a Christian here today, you know God. You know him. You know things about him. You've experienced him, but we forget who he is. He's just God. He's just God, and 
to listen to him, maybe even to, maybe even to come to church, maybe even to read the Bible can feel just kind of like a chore in some ways. To hear from him can just be bland. And David says, no, you need to see his character. And so here's what he says, the first reasons he gives us to enjoy God. He says in verse four, for the word of the Lord is right and all his work is trustworthy. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the Lord's unfailing love. The heavens were made by the word of the Lord and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea into a heap. He puts the depths into storehouses. Let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came into being. He commanded and it came into existence. He, he links God's word and God's character. He links God's word and his character and says that whatever God speaks reveals who he is. That when God speaks, we see who he is. This is part of why Jesus is called the word of God. Because we see most clearly God's voice when we look at Jesus. Everything that God has ever wanted to say, we can see in Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. But also as we look around creation, he says, we can see who God is. We can see his character. We can see his beauty. We can see that he is powerful. We can see that he is a creator that makes things. We can see that he values variety and color. We can see that even just by looking at creation, his word shows who he is. And he says about God that he is upright, that his work is trustworthy. Listen, God is trustworthy. You can count on him. God is trustworthy. You can count on him. And God is not just trustworthy, but he is good. He is upright. And the Lord, he says, loves righteousness and justice. God loves those things. Those are, ne those are near and dear to his heart. He loves righteousness. He loves things getting set right that are broken. That is who God is. He says, one of the reasons that you can enjoy God is by looking at his character. He says, the world is full of his unfailing love. I love that sentence. To say that the world is full of his unfailing love. We're all looking for someone that has unfailing love, whether that's a friend or a spouse or whoever it might be. We want people with unfailing love. But if we're honest, that's hard to find. It's impossible really to find someone with unfailing love. But it says of God that he has unfailing love. That means, listen, when something fails, it's usually because of two reasons. It's usually either because they, it lacks ability. So if you fail at running a race, maybe you lack the ability. You're not that fast. Or it might be because the circumstances are too hard, no matter how great your ability. If I said, can you run a mile? And I don't, I've never ran a mile, so I don't know. If you, can you run a mile in seven minutes? I think that's probably a decent time. I have no idea. Um, if, if I said, can you run a mile in seven minutes? And you say, yes, I actually have the ability. But the circumstances w w didn't allow for it. Maybe it was, uh, you were in the mountains and it, and it was uphill and it was rocky. And so no matter how great your ability, the circumstances don't allow for it. When we think about failure, it's usually because a lack of ability or the circumstances just won't allow it. When it says that God's love is unfailing, that means his ability is never limited to love you. And the circumstances are never too much for him to love you. 
no matter what it is in your life, no matter what it is that has happened to you, no matter what is happening to you right now, God's love cannot fail. And not just that, but the world is full of his unfailing love. That love, the world is full of. I I love when the Psalms talk about God's love being high and deep and wide. It gives us kind of these linear dimensions. But when it says that the world is full of his unfailing love, I think about a glass filled with water. Think about volume. It's It's not just a certain linear dimension, but it's volume. It is just as water fills up a glass and touches every space If you were to look at a swimming pool and it had water in it, and I said, what is that? You wouldn't say, oh, that is space that is filled up with water. You would say, that's water. And when we look at the world to say that it is full of his unfailing love means that there is no space of your life that is not touched by his unfailing love means there's no space of your, that's his character. You want, he says, I want you to enjoy God. Let me remind you his character because we so easily forget. Do you feel pain in life and want some sort of pleasure? Do you feel normal, maybe apathetic even in life and want some pleasure? Do you want deeper joy than you have now? He says, look at God, see who he is and let your seeing turn to singing. And then secondly, he says, look at his control. The next part in verse 10 says, the Lord frustrates the counsel of the nations, counsel being their plans. The Lord frustrates the counsel of the nations. He thwarts the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen to be his own possession. Our plans fail all the time, right? I mean, whatever your New Year's resolutions were at the beginning of 2020, they probably weren't. I want to really be quarantined for a long time. I want to stay away from people as much as I can. That was probably not in your New Year's resolutions. Maybe it was, and you have now been successful, right? You probably didn't have, I want to lose my job, or I want to be on unemployment. I want all my vacations to get canceled this year. Our plans get canceled all the time. We make, and even for those of you that are the best of planners, you make plans and they don't work out the way that you thought they would. He says this is true of us as individuals. It's true of nations that make our plans and they don't work. And we feel that. It's part of why we get anxious. Part of why we get anxious is because we make plans and aren't sure they're going to work out. Maybe we're even afraid to make plans because we don't want to commit to anything because we know it's probably not going to work out. And he says that for God, he's in absolute control. That every plan he makes stands. That every plan, God has never made a plan. God has never made a plan that didn't go how he thought it was going to go. God has never made a New Year's resolution that then he said, dang it, I'll try next year. That has never happened for God. It says from generation to generation that his plans stand, that he is in absolute control, even when it doesn't feel like that. Even, listen, even when we don't understand and there's so much that we don't, God is in control. But listen, the reason that's such good news 
the reason that that actually is reason to rejoice, the reason that that actually should move our seeing into singing is because he says, therefore, happy are the people that belong to him. If you belong to someone whose plans never fail, if you belong to someone and and he says, you're mine, and his plans never fail, that's a good place to belong. If you belong to someone that says, I have got a track record from generation to generation and my plans never fail. If you belong to that person, happy is the one that says, I belong. Maybe, maybe, I, maybe I think I'm a good planner. Maybe I think I'm in control. Maybe I think I've got ability, but it fails so much. But you know what? I belong to one who has never failed in all of his plans. I belong to him. That's the second thing that David gives to us. So do you have pain? Do you want pleasure? Does life feel normal and you want pleasure? Do you want deeper joy? He says, look, this is your God, a God in absolute control. And then third, we look at his character, we look at his control, and then we look at his care. Look what he says in verse 13. The Lord looks down from heaven. He observes everyone. He's like Facebook. He gazes on all the inhabitants of the earth from his dwelling place. He forms the hearts of them all. He considers all their works. A king is not saved by a large army. A warrior will not be rescued by great strength. The horse is a false hope for safety. It provides no escape by its great power. But look, the Lord keeps his eye on those who fear him, those who depend on his faithful love to rescue them from death and to keep them alive in famine. It says, look at his care. Do you feel weakness at all? Do you feel weak in any ways? Oftentimes when we do, we trust in numbers. We trust in, he says, the strength of the warrior. We might trust in our abilities and our strength. We might trust in numbers. We might trust in in our tools or our tricks, like a horse, which is a tool for war. We trust in the things that we believe will give us some sort of strength, some sort of edge. We trust in our education. We trust in our income. We trust in all our, the, just the skills, our natural bent that we have. We trust in the things that bring strength. And he says, those things can give you power. Those things can give you hope, but it ultimately, it's false. Ultimately, it's not powerful enough. Ultimately, it's not strong enough. Ultimately, you are not, listen to me, because you hear the opposite of this many times. Ultimately, you are not enough. I am not enough. Our power, our ability, our wisdom, our strength, our intellect, our income, not enough. It gives some sense of hope, but it's not enough. And instead, he says, we have something better. But remember, look, the reason that I'm, I'm phrasing this as our seeing into singing is because these truths are there, but we miss them, which is why he even says in verse 18 about the horse and it's hope for safety. And then 18, it says, but look, but look, because we are not looking so often, but look, He says, we have something better than all the strength in the world, than all the abilities in the world. What we have is his care. 
says, God sees you. God sees you. Now, that doesn't just mean that he sees. It doesn't just mean he's a satellite system that sees everything. When we talk about the language that it uses here and it says that he keeps his eyes on us, we, we use that language when we're talking about taking care of someone. If I said, hey, can you keep an eye on my child? I wouldn't just mean that you just, yeah, they're in my vision. And, oh, I guess a car hit them. Well, I, I saw it. My eye is on them. I would mean take care of them. Watch out for them. That's why we call it, uh, when we talk about watching someone's kids in like a babysitting, we don't just mean watch them. We mean take care of them. And God is saying, my eyes are on you. I see you. I observe you. I see your heart. I see your emotions. I see your thoughts. I see your situation. I see your pain. Listen, so many people, it's popular right now, actually, to use this phrase, and it's a great phrase, to say, I see you. Which means what? It means I understand you. I, I see what you're going through. I acknowledge you. I, I get that there's pain. I get that there's difficulty. And, and I'm looking at you. I'm for you. God says, my eyes are on you. I see you. I am not turned away from you. I am looking towards you. I see you. I understand you. Even the things that nobody else sees, the things in your heart that you haven't shared with anyone else, the thoughts in your mind that you're too ashamed or too scared to share with anyone else, God sees. He sees you. His eyes are on you, which means he cares for us. You have pain? Is life just kind of normal? You want pleasure? You want deeper joy? He says, look at the God that you have. Look at the God you have. And if all that's true, how do we respond? Here's the, here's the last part. If all that's true, he says this in verse 20. We wait for the Lord. He is our help and shield. For our hearts rejoice in him. Because we trust in his holy name. May your faithful love rest on us, Lord. For we put our hope in you. Whatever is going on, whatever pain that we have, whatever fear we have, he ends this with saying, remember, you're not alone. He is your shield, which is an image of protection. He is your helper, which is an image of actively working for your good. And we rejoice. We can enjoy God because we trust that that's who he is. We can rejoice because we trust and we trust because we see. And when we see, we then can sing and say, man, that is a good God. And we're not going to sing a cappella. We're going to sing with instruments. We're going to sing loudly because we're saying he is a good God. His character, his control, his care, it moves our sing to singing. And we ask him then, if all that's true, we say, okay. Okay, God, if that's true, be that for me. The last prayer, the only actual uh, request to God, instead of just stating things about God, the only actual request is as he recites all of that, it ends with him saying, may your faithful love rest on us, Lord. May your faithful love rest on us. I love that image too. You think about the God, I mean, everyone here would probably say, we know that God is love. 
the God of all love that's in control of this world, that has the best character in this world, the God of unfailing love as his character, the God in control of all things, and the God that cares for you, his love can rest on you. Which is an image kind of of a, a blanket covered over you, which probably doesn't sound very good right now, but as, <laughs> maybe it's the language of shade, you know, resting on you. But to think of God's love resting on us. You can feel, probably because, you know, it's a little sweaty right now, you can feel your shirt on you, right? And it's touching you. It's resting on you. The people at home are like, what are you talking about? I've got AC, you know? You can feel your shirt resting on you. And the prayer to God is to say, okay, God, if that's who you are, if you're this amazing God, let your love rest on me. And that moves our seeing to singing. We rejoice. We rejoice. This is the God we have. So what do we do with this? Well, the application is really similar to the application I've been giving you all week, which is I, I would encourage you to, or not all week, but you haven't been listening to my sermons all week. I've been putting one out every day. <clears throat> this whole series is I encourage you, and if you haven't done this yet, don't. it's okay. Don't You don't feel like you have to go back and, and start at the beginning, but just... I encourage you to write your own psalm. Take this psalm and turn it into your words. Write your own psalm reflecting on God's character and his control and his care for you and let that move you to rejoicing. And secondly, we do this together. He is saying, we ask you for this and we rejoice in you. And we, that is why gathering together, even when it's hot, is so important. Gathering together because God speaks to us as a community and we rejoice in who he is together. We're going to take communion. And communion, if you didn't grab it on the way in, if you missed my announcement, make sure to grab it at the tables there. But we're going to take communion. When we take communion, what we remember is this good God. We remember the God whose character is seen in Jesus on the cross unfailing love. Jesus says, I have it for you. Unfailing love displayed on the cross where his body would be broken and his blood would be shed. Even in our failures, unfailing love. Control. Even when it looked like everything was out of control. When the son of God himself died, it was absolutely the moment when he was in most control as he was king, crowned king of the world. And his care. His faithful love resting on us. We see all of this perfectly in Jesus. I'm going to ask the, the worship band to come up. We're going to give you a couple minutes to take communion just as you sit there. To take communion. Um, maybe for you it's to pray to God and to confess to him where you've missed this. Maybe it's just to thank him and to rejoice in who he is. Maybe in these couple minutes as you take communion, you can just even go through those things, his character, his control, his care, and remember how he is that to you. And, and you can also use this time to take a next step. You can go on your phone and go to our next step page. And maybe for you, responding to God's goodness is to say, okay, God, I want to be a part of that. I want to give. I want to serve. I want to be in community with people. And so you can also use this time to go to our website, go to our next steps page and take a next step.
So we're gonna take a couple minutes and respond and then we'll sing and listen. And I know, you know, you're, the neighbors are watching you, but it, he says to respond with shouts of joy. So let's sing and let's sing worthy of the good God that we have.